don't really tell anyone, but this month I'm looking at Bible heroes. Last week we looked at Caleb, and this week we're going to look at Ruth. And Ruth is someone who shows us what faith and devotion looks like. So as we come to consider Ruth, let's uh, pray, shall we? Lord, we thank you for this lady. We thank you for your work in her life. We thank you for her response to you. And we pray that you would teach us and that you would inspire us from what we see. In Jesus' name, amen. So we've got Ruth. Last week, Caleb was a, a, an Israeli, a Jew, but Ruth is a foreigner. She comes from Moab. And of course, you know where Moab is, don't you? Well, here's a map in case you've forgotten. <laughs> There's the, the Dead Sea down the bottom, and uh, on just over the other side of it is uh, Moab, and here's a three-dimensional map as well. And the next one, you can see the Dead Sea is quite low there, one of the lowest... I think it's the lowest sea in the world. And you've got the plains of Moab on that uh, right-hand side going up into a pretty hilly country. And if you said, I wonder where Ruth is in times of uh, other things going on in the world. Well, here's a chart from uh, the time of Ruth. And that's a bit big, isn't it? So let's zoom in a little bit. And we'll see that around about the time when Ruth's in there, uh, Boaz marries Ruth. You can look across, you can see <coughs> stuff after Deborah and Gideon's uh, getting started on his ministry at the same time. So that's, that's where we are in history and, and in geography. And where are we in the story? Well, we're going to we'll be in the book of Ruth and, and flitting around a little bit in there. So we're in Ruth chapter 1 to start off with. And it's in the days when judges ruled and there was a famine in the land. So a man from Bethlehem in Judah, together with his wife and his two sons, they went to live for a while in the country of Moab. The man's name was Elimelech. <coughs> uh, it's not the start of that uh, African song. Elimelech, Elimelech, Elimelech. Oh, no. Oh, that's Wim Away. No, it's not that one. <laughs> so this is Elimelech. His wife's name was Naomi, and the names of his two sons were Marlon and Kilian. They were Ephrathites from Bethlehem, Judah, and they went to Moab, and they lived there. Now, and they didn't have him there, sadly, but now Elimelech, Naomi's husband, died, and she was left with her two sons. And they married Moabite women. One was named Orpah, and the other Ruth. And after they'd lived there about ten years... Both Marlon and Killian also died, and Naomi was left without her two sons and her husband. And when Naomi heard in Moab the Lord had come to the aid of his people by providing food for them, that's back in Israel, she and her daughter-in-law prepared to return home from there. And I guess Naomi did a bit of thinking here. And so she said to her daughters-in-law, she said, uh, no, go back, each of you, to your mother's home. May the Lord show you kindness as you've shown kindness to my dead husband and to me. And may the Lord grant each of you will find rest in the home of another husband. And she kissed them goodbye and wept aloud. And we'll go down to verse 16. But Ruth replied, 
Don't urge me to leave you or turn back from you. Where you go, I will go. And where you stay, I will stay. Your people, they'll be my people. And your God, my God. And where you die, I will die. And there I'll be buried. May the Lord deal with me, be it ever so severely, if even death separates you from me. And when Naomi realised that Ruth was determined, she was, wasn't she? And when Ruth was determined to go with her, she stopped urging her. And so the two women went on until they came to Bethlehem. We know that famous place, don't we? Bethlehem, where Jesus was born. Well, we don't know what it is or why Ruth actually wanted to stay with Naomi, but we do know she most definitely did. That was a remarkable thing to say to a mother-in-law, wasn't it? A remarkable level of commitment to stay with Naomi, with Naomi's people and with Naomi's God. Remember, she said, your people will be my people and your God will be my God. Now, one of my visits to grandchildren in Victoria, as it came to time to leave, I did have a sobbing grandchild uh, wanting to hang on to me and not let me go. And so I understand what we've got in this verse 14. As they wept aloud, then Orpah kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth clung to her, clung to her. And although Orpah was just able to kiss the mother-in-law goodbye, Ruth couldn't. She couldn't do it. Very deeply bonded with the mother-in-law and she wasn't going to let her go. Now, Naomi had been trying to be the best mother-in-law and she, that's what she was doing when she was encouraging the girls. She said, stay there in Moab. She'd had a pretty level-headed assessment of the situation because this is in a time, you know, there's no government handouts, there's no social security and if women didn't have a husband, they were the poorest of the poor. And the reality was that Ruth was not going to get another husband out of Naomi and the reality was she was going to leave her home country and th in that home country were all the connections, all the possibilities, she was a known factor, that was the, probably the best place to find another husband. And the reality was she was going off essentially as a carer for her mother-in-law to a country she'd never been to, into the unknown on so many levels. Level-headed reason that would have kept Ruth in Moab. Going to Israel, enormous changes. Think about religion. Religion-wise, she's going from polytheism where they had many gods and Chemosh was their main deity and then going over out of that situation into monotheism. Just one God, belief in just one almighty God, Yahweh or Jehovah, depending how you do the, the vowels. And you think about it, why would you do that? It's quite reasonable to infer that Ruth was drawn by Naomi's godly life. Yeah. And you do acknowledge that possibly it was, you know, in those days, if you went to a different country, you went to different gods. But nevertheless, it was a clear example of repenting, wasn't it? Repenting. Changing from Moabite gods to Israel's one true God. 
And people noticed it. And they noticed how she lived out of that. And Boaz noticed. In chapter 3, 11, second half of that verse, he says to her, he says, All the people of my town know that you're a woman of noble character. And if you go back to 2.11, Boaz says, I've been told about all about what you've done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband. How you left your father and mother and your homeland and you came to live with the people who, did, who you did not know before. May the Lord repay you for what you've done. May you be richly report, rewarded by Yahweh, the one true God, the God of Israel, under whose wings you've come to take refuge. Refuge, sorry. Under whose wings you've come to take refuge. Certainly, as far as Boaz is concerned, she's genuinely converted, hasn't she, to Judaism. And she's made living magnificently by faith in the one true God and she's taking refuge refuge under his wings taking refuge king david has re has linked taking refuge and being saved together in 2 samuel 22 3 he says my god is my rock in whom i take refuge my shield and the horn of my salvation is my stronghold my refuge and my savior and so here we have ruth an unclean woman unclean remember as far as the jews were concerned all non-jewish people are unclean but an unclean woman is drawn into faith and amazingly into the lineage of jesus christ the son of god because ruth was the great grandmother of king david and when ruth had a child with Boaz, Boaz. Naomi, as the mother-in-law, takes this child and, and the women are living around there say, Naomi has a son. And they named him Obed. And he was the father of Jesse, the father of David. So it's encouraging for us, who are foreigners also, as far as the Jews are concerned, to see a foreigner brought in to the Messiah's lineage. And... I don't know about you, but that reminds me that the important thing is faith over ethnic background. Faith is what got her there. Ruth is similar to Abraham, you know. She heard the call of God. She responded in faith. She left her own people. That makes her marriage an interracial marriage. But the important factor in that movement is the quality of her faith. And it's not where she started, not the country of her origin. And let's hear again that faith which God rewarded when Ruth said, Don't urge me to leave you or turn back from you. Wherever you go, I will go. And where you stay, I will stay. And your people will be my people and your God will be my God. And where you die, I'll die. And there I'll be buried. May the Lord deal with me, be it ever so severely, if even death separates you and me. There's a, a hymn by Fanny Crosby who's written many songs that we know. She puts it in this way. Entreat me not to leave you. My heart goes with you now. Why turn my foot's 
footsteps homeward, no friend as dear as you. Your heart spawned my sorrow and I've wept for yours. And how can I leave you? I'll let my lot be yours. So entreat me not to leave you. Treat me not to leave you or to return from following after you. For where you go, I'll go. And where you lodge, I'll lodge. And your people will be my people and your God will be my God. Your people will be my people. And your God, my God. And I'll follow where you, go, where you lead and my love will cling to you. And where your head's pillowed, my nightly rest shall be. Your birthplace and your family I'll cherish like my own. Your God shall be my refuge. I'll worship at his throne. And when death's cold hand shall find you, there, let my eyelids close. And in the grave beside you, this mortal frame repose. So do not now entreat me. No friend as dear as you. My heart would break in anguish if I should leave you now. And Ruth's not appealing to who the God she came from. She's appealing to Yahweh. And she invokes, in actual fact, his covenant name here, Yahweh, Jehovah, the Lord, when she says, may the Lord, may the Lord deal with me, be it ever so severely, if even death separates you from me. Bit of a strange way of saying something, but it was quite common in the Old Testament. She was using what they call an oath formula. And so do the oath, you call for a terrible fate to befall someone if the oath doesn't get fulfilled. And so Ruth's actually pronouncing a curse upon herself and, take, and therefore she's taking this promise she's making up a notch to a formal, to an unconditional level. And she's saying that if I'm not faithful to this promise, then God, you can judge me. And what she's doing, she's totally surrendering here a forerunner of the Apostle Paul. Yeah, you say, what? Well, look at his commitment. Philippians 3, 7 and 8. But whatever were gains to me, I now consider as loss for the sake of Christ. And what's more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I lost all things and I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ and be found in him. It's the same level of commitment. And if you're going to use an oath, you would appeal to your God to enforce it, but Ruth is clearly implying that Yahweh is now her God and the guardian of her future. See, the Old Testament doesn't have that fully developed idea of conversion that we see in the New Testament. So Ruth's confession here is... That's how they showed that they really were converted. And when you think about it, Ruth's leap of faith here even outdid Abraham's. And he was accounted as righteous. See that in Genesis 15. Abraham believed the Lord. Abraham believed the Lord and he credited it to him as righteousness. Because Ruth, think about it, she didn't have a promise. She didn't have divine blessings pronounced. She didn't have a spouse. She didn't have any possessions. She didn't have a supporting household ret retinue of workers. And she gave up thought of being married to a man to devote herself 
to looking after an old woman in a world that was dominated by men at the time. And so, friends, Ruth shows us how to have faith in God, doesn't she? And she shows us what real faith looks like. And I was not ex exactly sure why I felt the need to highlight that this week. The Lord knows. Maybe it's because we've allowed our lives to become too complicated. You think about that? Too many good things to do which are crowding out the best things to do, like what we're doing this morning, being in church together. Maybe it's because there are so many voices that clamour for our allegiance, our attention, that we are to be reminded to turn off some of those data streams. Simplify. Reduce input. Renounce things that are leading us astray. Or maybe it's just that being wholehearted for the Lord and having a commitment like Ruth is considered a bit extreme and private. But that should be the normal way. That should be us. The Lord knows. But Ruth is showing us a way to have amazing faith. And the Lord rewarded that amazing faith. He, by, he provided a husband. And who was even more, he was willing to redeem his mother-in-law Naomi's family property and the family name. And then they had the child together and went into the lineage of Jesus. Wow. Faith rewarded. What about Naomi? She gets a lot of credit, you know, because she knew things. She knew how things worked. And she knew that women could hang around in the, in the fields after the header has gone through. And she could pick up for free anything that was missed. And by divine luck, maybe, she ends up in the field of a relative with the power to restore the family name and fortunes, Boaz. And Boaz's antenna goes up. Do you notice this? What's Boaz say, Ruth 2.5? Boaz asks the overseer's harvesters, who's that young woman belong to? He noticed. Ruth got his attention to the point that he requests, look, don't go and glean in any other paddocks and I'll get my men to protect you and look, here's some water. When you need a drink, just go up there and uh, gives her bread and wine vinegar at mealtime, tells his men to let her gather even amongst the good sheaves and, and even says, look, pull out some stalks, deliberately leave them behind for her. And when Ruth comes home with that surprising bounty, Naomi's spidey sense awakens and she realises that Boaz's kindness reflects a genuine interest in Ruth. And then she puts it together with the thought that Boaz as a close family relationship could be a guardian redeemer, a, a goel, then there's hope for a way of getting out of poverty. So this, there's this concept in here, the guardian redeemer. Now that's a legal term. And uh, it's one for someone who has an obligation to a relative in a serious difficulty. It's uh, one who enforces a claim which has collapsed, uh, has lapsed. It's one who reclaims or revindicates, and so that means you can use it, of use it to redeem a house or a field after being, it's been sold. You can buy back family land which has been forfeited, or maybe 
you could buy back an Israelite who's been obliged to sell himself as a slave. But obviously, you get into trouble and you're not, as a rule, able to redeem yourself, are you? So the duty to do that often falls upon the family and, and more particularly upon the nearest part of the family. And so the goel comes to mean the next of kin, who also was responsible in some cases for carrying on the family name by marrying a childless widow. And a bit more serious, he was responsible to be the avenger of blood, to make sure the murderer of a family member answers to the crime. But Boaz, whilst he was a close relative, wasn't the closest one. He was the second closest and so he couldn't act unless the first guy declined. And the Pentateuchal law didn't really require him to marry the widow of the deceased in addition to redeeming the property, though custom mostly said that's what you did. And we know that Boaz, as a potential Goel, redeemer, kinsman redeemer, we know he's fascinated by Ruth from the moment he sees her, even before she knows who she is. And his interest increases. But the harvest is over. About three months, Boaz hasn't paid, made an offer of marriage. Hmm... So Naomi suggests to Ruth, maybe we need to take matters into our own hands here. And they come up and use a very strange custom executed, executed very discreetly and modestly at the suggestion of this clever Naomi. Ruth 3.2. She says, okay, now Boaz, with whose women you worked, is a relative of ours. Tonight he'll be winnowing barley on the threshing floor. And he'll sleep there because it's, the thing is, why do you do that? Well, you've just got the harvest there, very attractive to thieves. So he sleeps overnight. But she says, okay, that's where he'll be. Wash, put on perfume, get dressed in your best clothes, go down to the threshing floor, but don't let him know you're there until he's finished eating and drinking. And when he lies down, take a note of where he's lying and then go and uncover his feet and lie down and he'll tell you what to do. So there we have it, You've, they've finished the harvest, they've had the party to celebrate, they've got appropriate eating and drinking and we've got a happy Boaz who's off to sleep quite happily at the far end of the grain pile. Ruth's been hanging back meantime out of sight from Boaz but noticing where he goes to sleep and when it's dark and no one can see. She makes her way to Boaz, lifts the garments off his feet and lays down there. Now, have you ever been woken up by cold feet in the night? Well, that can wake you up. And combine that with the possibility, you know, just on your guard in case you get some grain thieves. And then we find 3-8, in the middle of the night, something startled the man. He turned... And there was a woman lying at his feet, which would probably startle you even more. <laughs> Who are you? He asked. Well, it is dark. I'm your servant Ruth, she said. Spread the corner of your garment over me, since you are a guardian redeemer of our family. 
Now, that might sound a bit odd if you don't understand the ancient culture, but uh, Ruth is basically proposing here. A wedding at, those, at weddings in those times, and even to this day, the groom will cast a garment over the head of the bride to symbolise that she's coming under his protection. And also, you've got that fact that she's lying at his feet. And that was understood in those days to be an act of total submission. That's what a servant did, laid down at the master's feet, ready to obey any command of the master. And so when Naomi told Ruth to lie down at Boaz's feet, she's saying, come in a totally humble, submissive way. But this sneaky proposal, this sneaky proposal is not coming out of the blue though. The time of the harvest is over and certainly Ruth and Boaz, they've been around each other during the whole process and uh, they've had an opportunity to get to know each other in the public space and a larger group, and not dating as such, but you know, it's a good way to get to know people. But it appears as though the age gap between the two might have been made Boaz think this young lady was not a possibility for him. Or maybe he was just, as an average male, a bit clueless. Maybe he hadn't picked up the sign. But So Ruth is sort of forcing the issue, but she's doing it discreetly. She's doing it at night. So if he isn't interested, he's not going to be embarrassed in front of anyone else. But she does have the double-edged to her request because their relationship, but it's also the possibility of him being the redeemer. Well, there it is. What does Boaz think about that? How does he respond? He's blown away, isn't he? The Lord bless you, my daughter. This kindness, you know, this proposal, this kindness is greater than that which you showed earlier. You haven't run after young men with a ritual poor and... I think he's really pleased about it because what does he say? And now, don't be afraid. I will do all that you ask. I'll do all that you ask. Uh, thinking about the bigger picture, Ruth came to claim a right. Boaz was a potential kinsman redeemer. She did have the right to accept him to marry her and raise up a family to perpetuate the family name of Elimelech. But, Naomi is very wisely counselled her to not come as a victim demanding her rights, but to come in as a humble servant, trusting in the goodness of the kinsman redeemer. And she's saying basically to Boaz, I respect you, I trust you, but I put my fate in your hands. So just to recap that there was a considerable age difference and it's probable that Boaz considered himself unattractive to Ruth and therefore he'd ruled out any idea of romance amongst them. But that shows something wonderful about Boaz. In a sense, he had the right to force his way on, a, on her as a uh, kinsman redeemer, but he didn't. He wasn't going to say, ooh, there's a woman I want. I'm a kinsman. I could have her. He was kind enough to not act as the kinsman redeemer unless she desired it. There's also something wonderful about Ruth in that. She based her attraction to Boaz more on respect than on image or appearance. And tragically, many people fall in love with just the image or the appearance. 
rather than with the person who they can really respect. And Boaz, in turn, was attracted to Ruth because of her character. Think about that. We don't really know whether she's good-looking or whatever, but we do know that she was a woman of godly character because literally Boaz called Ruth a Hail woman. That means the basic meaning behind this world is strength, word is strength. There's moral strength, there's good quality, there's integrity and virtue. He's seeing all that in Ruth. And you know, that's the same word they use for heroes in the Bible. A mighty man of Hail, a mighty man of valor. So justice, courage and strength makes a man a hero. So Ruth's courage and strength was in her virtue. That made her a hero. That's like we see in Proverbs 31, the woman of virtue. Oh, Boaz. He was a man of his word and he got right onto it. He sorted out the kinsman issue the very next day. Calls a meeting with the guy directly in line and, and he brings in 10 elders as witnesses. They're a bit overdone, 10 witnesses. <laughs> He's not messing around. And he made sure the other guy knew the facts. He told him, well, on the day you buy the land from Naomi, you will also acquire Ruth the Moabite, the dead man's widow, in order to maintain the name of the dead with his property. Well, the guardian redeemer says, oh, I, can't, no, I can't do that. I can't redeem it. might endanger my own estate. You redeem it. I can't do it. Mm, okay, good. Says he got right on with it. He said, okay, in that case, I've also acquired Ruth the Moabite, Marlon's widow as my wife in order to maintain the dead, the name of the dead with his property so that his name will not disappear from among his family or from his hometown. Pretty good system, I reckon. So Boaz took Ruth. She became his wife. When he made love to her, the Lord enabled her to conceive and she gave birth to a son. Happy ending. Got to love it, eh? Happy ending. Naomi, who'd lost her husband, and two sons, I was not very happy about it, but her happiness is now restored. Now the women gathered around, they celebrate with her, and they said to Naomi, they said, Praise be to the Lord, who this day has not left you without a guardian redeemer. May he become famous throughout Israel. <laughs> famous, they couldn't have known that one day the saviour of the world would come through this family line. That's pretty famous. How famous can you get? But they also acknowledge Ruth. Amazingly selfless, totally devoted, noble daughter-in-law. For your daughter-in-law, who loves you and who is better than seven sons, has given him birth. Well, just a couple of side notes to finish with. We notice that Matt Boaz was a man of honour and in integrity even in the dark. Yeah? This woman comes and lies down at your feet in the dark. God expects us to behave in the dark the same way as we do in the light. Makes no difference if no one's watching. Doesn't even matter that our misdeeds will never be discovered. There is still one who knows and cares. And the psalmist reminds us, the darkness and the light, they're both alike to God. The darkness is not the time to take a chance. It's the time to show your character. Make sure God can trust you in the dark. Ask him to 
give you that consistency of character that's unaffected by your circumstances and be as faithful to the Lord when your actions are hidden as when they're out in the open. And someday you'll be glad you did. What a person is in the dark is what a person truly is. And a, a beautiful another side note, you know when, uh, well I'll read it out there, <coughs> Boaz said to uh, Ruth, bring me the shawl you're wearing and hold it out. And when she did so, he poured into it six measures of barley and placed the bundle on her. And then he went back to town. Must be a strong shawl, hey? You know what Jewish traditions say? That those six measures of barley were given to Ruth as a sign that they were the sign of the six of six pious men who would descend from her with six spiritual gifts. King David, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, Azariah, and the Messiah. So it's a beautiful thought, isn't it? And we finish with Ruth's word of devotion. But Ruth replied, Don't urge me to leave you or to turn back from you. Where you go, I will go. And where you stay, I'll stay. Your people will be my people and your God will be my God. And where you die, I will die and there I'll be buried. And may the Lord deal with me, be it ever so severely, if even death separates you and me. Let us pray. Most wonderful Lord, Ruth shows us how to love. And of course, she loved you. And you blessed that love. She was well, I pray that you would uh, teach us what we need to fill up further in our love for you and our devotion. May we have the, the devotion, may we have the love that Ruth had for you. May we catch some of that and be found in your love. Amen. And we're just going to finish with an opportunity to return that love to God with a song, I give you my love.